Hello and welcome to the Persephone program. And today I am so excited to introduce my friend, uh, my, my virtual friend and real friend, Carrie Basha of Boho Mofo, uh, who I met on <laughs> the Instagram platform several years ago. And she is an incredible writer and reader. She is a uh, coven leader uh, with a amazing um, social media account. Her Instagram, if you haven't uh, followed her um, at Bohomofo, is just filled with the most evocative and beautiful words about the cosmic weather, about um, just the the life of the life of a witch uh, about the natural world and more. So today um, I'm talking to Carrie from the eastern Eastern Australia. Yep, Eastern Seaboard. Yes, just yes. Um, just so, north of just north of Sydney. Awesome. It is mm. 9 a.m. on uh, <laughs> November 4th. For you? Yes, I think I, I'm. Yeah, I'm, it's really funny. Yeah. As an astrologer, I'm. Um, I'm sort of. I'm more across often what's happening in the sky than what day it actually is. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's ahead. So it's November third. <laughs> That's yes, one thing yes. I always remember is uh, you guys get New Year's Eve before we do. <laughs> yeah, that's how we think about New Zealand too. <laughs> they get it before yeah. us. So yeah, perfect, perfect. Yeah. Thank well, you for having me. Oh my gosh, it's my, it is truly a privilege. And um, we met, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, but we met on Instagram, I think it was three or four years ago. Yeah, I, I, th I think it was actually because, um, because yes, I, I was, I was living in the country at that point. Um, and I do remember when we were first messaging and as we sort of touched on earlier, you you gave me such a profound insight into this one particular aspect in my chart that is very connected to my writing voice and, um, well, my worldview probably <laughs> is the best mm -hmm. way to describe it. Um, and it really, uh, it really unlocked something in me. It really unlocked a door in me. I'm not a formally trained astrologer. So uh, my astrology is self-taught and it, for me, it very much sits in a, in a little mythological space of its own. I, I see the, the planets and the moon and the stars as, as characters almost. I mean, you know, when people say trees are people too, I think planets are people too. So I, I just, um, I, I've always sort of viewed it that way. I have a very, um, I have a very mythological view of the world. I think everything has meaning and everything has power. And um, it was that exchange with you, one of our very first exchanges where you peered into my chart and saw that, that really I don't know. It wasn't. It wasn't quite permission because I was already doing it and sort of working around it. But it was, yeah. It's that you know the beautiful thing that you get from an astrology reading or a tarot reading that being able to be seen by somebody who doesn't really know you, who's only just connected with you, who doesn't know your your story or anything to do with that, and suddenly through the cards or through the charts or through the stars, someone can say, "Bang that." about you and I I just I mean I was 
I was so addicted to that sensation long before I became a tarot reader. I was, um, I like to joke about the fact that I was a tarot, tarot junkie before I was a tarot reader because I, if there was a woman at a market reading, I would be bolting towards that end of the market to have a reading. I've always been fascinated with anything occult, anything that people sort of shy away from a little bit I've always been fascinated with it and obviously the key theme of my work is shadow so the witchy thing the tarot thing the, all of these the the astrology all of these pieces to me really come together with you know with what I consider to be true shadow work which is really being able to sit with these parts of yourself that you don't wear on the outside um, yeah. I'm always fascinated with the underbelly that way yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's to, firstly, I just want to point out that the the point that you were talking about was your Mercury and Pisces, you know, yes. and that, that Jupiter-Neptune combination of, you know, expansive belief in meaning, you know, ascribes mm. meaning to life. Like you said, that yeah. there is, everything is meaningful. I mean, mm. I think astrology is you know, the language of, of meaning, especially yes, in yes. The astronomical meaning, you know, but being able to sort of language it and say that, you know, there is this, this synchronistic resonance and that every single thing that you do, your instinctual programming and like the, the what's going on in your life right now, it has like all of this like beautiful mirror like resonance. And in that mm. way, it's a connection. It's like a connection to the divine. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's You're, just, it's so lovely to hear you talk about it in such lyrical terms too. I, it, it's absolutely how I feel too. And I, in the same way that, um, you know, in the same way that people can talk about different religions or different spiritual paths, I've, I've always felt that, you know, beyond, beyond sort of pop astrology, I've always felt that the, the stars were, kind of the architecture my life hangs from like my life is all housed within that and has been for quite some time so yeah before I was doing this and insta was a thing and we were writing all over that I was still the person who was always talking to people about their chart or their moon or you know that sort of thing where the moon was or what it was doing or what was coming up in the world so and I just think you know it's so incredible to be living through the times, I mean, difficult for a lot of people, obviously, this is the revolution, this is the big transformation of humanity that has to happen or everything ends. But it's so incredible to be living through these times that have been prophesized and predicted and, and talked about for so many, I mean, not just decades, for centuries in some cases. And it feels to me <clears throat> remarkable that we're all here. I'm quite a privilege to be so as well. I um, I remember hearing once the idea that uh, people who were incarnated now had actually won the celestial lottery, this, that this was the golden ticket. And I'm sure there would be hordes of people screaming their disagreement with it. But I I really tucked that idea away with me. I really have. It's um, And I, I think it's true. I think we all you know, we all have a role to play and perhaps we need to let go of the idea that it has to be world-changing. It has to change our world, whatever that looks like. And, and yeah, we've all, we've all sort of come here at this point for that. Yeah. And so it feels like even though we are 
running the gauntlet and gawping at our leaders and just going, oh, wow, hell in a handbasket again this week. But even though we're doing all of that, I, I feel an almost, uh, it's almost like a bubbling excitement inside me that we're finally at this point that all of this is going to change that we all get to play a part in it I'm um and and I am too I'm hopeful I'm not a blind optimist but I'm certainly hopeful because and I see it in my work all the time with with shadow work and also with tarot that and I'm sure you do too that people very often need to reach a really extreme tipping point for things to change like it's almost got to be you know dire <laughs> for people to do mm-hmm. something for people to be shocked into action in some sense and and obviously we're a couple of years into those rolling shocks now so yeah this is where we are I mean it's it is I I'm sure you've heard of the term tower time you know yeah 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 that's one of my favorite cards in I death. know it's tower and death I'm like change happening <laughs> But it's but it feels good like to have. I'm thinking about Uranus, and I'm thinking about oh. Pluto, and I'm thinking about you know the lightning striking the tower, and obviously the Uranus Saturn square and yep. Saturn Pluto conjunction, and there there is always life and death, and death and life, you know. And the idea that things are ending as new things are beginning is so profound right now because, like you said. We are experiencing, and I love, 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 love that you're excited about it. You are transferring mm. that enthusiasm to me. And I, I, I want, I, I want that. I want everybody listening to this to see that like, you know, the, the, I was thinking about like the, the fortune cookie, you know, uh, curse, uh, may you live in interesting times, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. I love that. I love but that. It, but it is. We're, we're literally like what? at the dawn of a precipice of a new age. I mean, there is no doubt, you know, I'm, and it isn't, you know, <laughs> this isn't really a religious, you know, statement, but it really is from, from the, you know, the, the precession and the, the you know, the ages yes. astrology, yes. which it have, has astronomical roots. This is the mm. beginning of a new age and it's, it's a long period, but it also is happening so fast. We're seeing it. It's so accelerated. Mm. age of Aquarius. And I, I agree, like, this is incredible. Yeah. Um, and, and the thresholds, the thresholds are always, you know, where it's at, <laughs> these edges, the, the anaerobic degrees, the, the thresholds between these, you know, I often, I mean, I often think things in terms of nature, but especially where you see changes in landscapes, you see, you know, you have the brackish water where salt water meets fresh water, you have these, these confluences and these combinations. And on the other side, in terms of, you know, our personal human development as we move through our lives it's the thresholds where we meet our initiation points and they're always going to feel challenging but that's the point you you know and in a, a world that is perpetually an expert in everything the whole point of being initiated is that you don't know you don't know where you're going you don't know what's coming I think our our culture particularly you know it the the constant refrain of nature as you alluded to before is life death and rebirth life death and rebirth life death and rebirth we see it in the seasons we see it in the sky we see it in our bodies we see it all the time and we have a culture that 
is just dreadful with death. Everybody wants constant rebirth and no one wants to walk through the valley of death. No one wants to sit with their shadow. No one wants to let something go in order to make way for something else. That's why I, um, in my meditations, I tend to focus on the dark moon rather than the new moon. Because, you know, I think we're done just casting wish, 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 you know, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, you know, well, what, what can you let go of? What can you transform? What can you, you know, make space for? There's a, there's a sustainability inherent in that cycle. And while we choose to ignore the key part of it, the bridge, the psychopomp, death while we choose to ignore that part of it which I think COVID shoved up in everybody's faces rather effectively we still continue to choose that to try and you know use our our clever humanity to reframe things and to add pretty little words around them to deny the truth of what sits in the core of them then we're not moving through or even into this new age you're kind of stuck at that threshold and refusing to move wanting to look backwards and and I think that's sort of the the tussle of the times if you like is the people who who can't or won't let go of the old a lot of whom of course are in power and unwilling to hand over the keys to their kingdoms um, and those who are really trying to stretch out ahead into the new age and and build worlds that come from that place rather than from the old place because it wasn't sustainable and it wasn't equitable and it didn't work (laughs) yeah I mean and that's that's the you know it's human nature it's definitely Mm. a key that's the the Saturn Uranus square for sure you know uh in its entirety you know um, tradition safety security versus freedom new growth rebirth Mm. you know but um yeah I, I I I do see that there is a tremendous amount of people in the I mean there's there's certainly an occult uh renaissance right now yeah so many <laughs> especially last weekend god almighty <laughs> yeah i mean the, so- the season of the witch seems to get larger every every yeah. year i also too think of what you were saying before about um saturn and uranus i i really think i've thought it for a long time and it might just be that Saturn has a kind of prominent position in my chart, but I, I really feel like Saturn's got a PR problem. I think this, I mean, I've never liked, I've never Definitely. liked the idea of, um, you know, malefics and benefics. I think everything has shadow and light in it and, and our tendency to want to make things good or want to make things bad um, disavows part of something's nature. And so I think with Saturn and especially with Saturn now in Aquarius, I, I think with Saturn particularly, this is the, I mean, yes, it's discipline and hard work and it's time and taxes and all this sort of due diligence and discipline. But I also think as well that the Saturn's good solid structure as well. And, and what we're being asked to construct here is the architecture of our new age, is the, the reformed skeleton that our life is going to hang on. And, and that's where Uncle Saturn comes in. <laughs> He's your friend For in sure. that sense. And I think there's just the, the, the sort of the innate aversion that people can have to, uh, to Saturn and to Pluto particularly, a dear, dear favourite of mine. But, to, you know, these these aversions to that um like anything that you are really averse to or you really fear it's sort of 
it magnifies its influence, it draws it closer anyway. And, and these are the, as you're pointing out, these are sort of the shepherds that are moving us through these changing times. So to, to really sort of back away from their magic and back away from their medicine is not going to help you across that threshold. It's going to, yeah, to hold yeah. you really stuck. I mean, you know, the Saturn return is profound. It's profound the first time. I'm I'm lucky enough to know people who are going through it the second time. And it it's just, it's so effective. <laughs> it's so effective as a transit. I mean, this idea that we have, and it does seem a very modern idea that we shouldn't be uncomfortable that things shouldn't be difficult, that everything should be, you know, mod, con, easy street, is patently ridiculous. It's not the human condition. We all go through heartbreak. We all go through grief. We all suffer. We all lose things. I mean, this idea then that we should be putting on a smiley face and then posting about it is just, uh, I call it the love and light show. It's just a show, it's razzle-dazzle, and, you know, you come off stage and all those costumes fall off. That's your truth. That's what you right. want to be working with there. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> you know, as you know, I'm I'm a double Capricorn. So Saturday, mm. Saturday, I, I have so many transits to Saturn in my chart too. But um, you know, I love my son. Also, is a Capricorn, and he's going through his Uranus. One of my sons, I have two. Oh. He's going through his Uranus square too. And well, mine's born on my birthday. Yeah, <laughs> my son. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, you know, and so he's got, he's got Pluto on top of his son. He's going through his Uranus square. The first one, he's, he's all, he's 21 and a half. Wow. And, um, he's just Big having deal. a hard time, you know? Mm. And, and so, you know, my advice to him, you know, is, uh, you know, that is, you know, comes from Bruce Lee, you know, do not pray for an easy life, you know, but mm. pray for the strength to endure the difficult one. Well, I I was writing about Bruce Lee last week. I used him as the avatar for Mars in Scorpio because he had a Scorpio stellium. So he was, and and yet as Sag, as Sag Sun and Rising. So I had this incredible optimism as well, saw life as an adventure, as a challenge to be wrestled with, you know, just an absolutely fascinating fascinating man yeah and mars and scorpio mm. great i mean you know it's mm. like it's about it's about developing yeah the power you know yeah. the power uh, I, th- I think everything is about power i mean i've been fascinated inner mm. power, you know the inner power to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and i actually absolutely i used I used that term in the chapter of on Scorpio in my yes. book. Too. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I just I love that. I, term. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think I think as well, the you know, we we have such a we have such a tendency to, you know, when when the chips are down, when things are difficult, this kind of idea that you just sort of put your head down and you truck through and you just want to be on the other side of it you just sort of want to get through it but that's where all the that's where all the medicine is that's where all the learning is this idea of galloping through it not integrating it tucking it into your pocket or chucking it over the back of your head waiting until it turns into a dinner party story that that sort of idea it doesn't it doesn't really sit with (laughs) the purpose of our lives in fact it it sits outside of it I think to to view it that way and, and I also think as well, we're, we're going through a, 
we're going through such a process of of really bringing masculine and feminine together internally and externally you know with what you were saying before about power it's a long fascination of mine I mean was right into history when I was at school and I'm I'm fascinated with the study of power the rise and fall of empires and now especially with the Pluto overlay god almighty but I I think one of the things that's really interesting about power is that so much of what we consider to be power in our world is actually power's poor cousin control because I think personal power is a closed circuit, mm-hmm. you know, good boundaries, no leaks, an ability to understand and work with your power should never result in, you know, using that power over people. If I think if you're using that power over people and it's control and for the raft of reasons that sit behind that, then you're not truly powerful. Right, right. We want to be powerful like Bruce Lee to like know your inner power, the fact that and and into the Scorpio archetype, you know, that Mm. oops. (laughs) There's my dog. It's gonna get mine started. She'll be here any second. (laughs) Um it makes it real. Makes it real. Um Taco. Hey. Um, so (laughs) back to back to power and Mars. Um yeah, I mean, there's, I love that you said, uh, what, what was it, uh, power's poor cousin control? Yeah, yeah, because I just, I just feel like so much of what people call power, and I see this all the time in my shadow work, it's, but it's not power, it's not, it's not yours, it's this, it's this whole play happening outside of yourself, and I frequently refer to myself and and in my writing about the idea of recovering control freaks because I think that's what we all are. We The the models of power that we are given and that we observe growing up are usually very much rooted in control, control of our behaviour, control of how we are seen or how our family is seen or, you know, how we have to behave at school or whatever it is. So, So the relationships that we start to build to power and to archetypes of power are usually rooted in control and so therefore that's what we grow up with and and control is a complete illusion and not just in that sort of philosophical sense the idea that you have control over someone and they're happy about it is crazy it's absolutely crazy it's you know control is not some benevolent gift it's something that you're doing to make yourself feel safer or to make yourself feel better than what's actually going on inside of you and so yeah I see it very much as the the poor cousin as the sort of the the it's kind of the approximation of power but it's not actually power and you can feel the difference you can sense the difference and I think that that is starting to show in our elections it's starting to show in our purchasing choices it's starting to people are starting to understand that they have power they have power and the and the key area that their power resides in is their choice their personal choice right and obviously there are you know it's one of the it's one of the things that's actually it's been really niggling at me over the last little while and I've been tossing up that writing about it just because I really don't enjoy running the social media gauntlet when you pop something up that 
offends people or that they, they disagree with. But the thing that strikes me at the moment, and I know that it's been polarised by a lot of the political and medical arguments that people are having at the moment, and people keep talking about this idea of sovereignty, um, personal sovereignty, it's sort of, which I am, it seems to me is sort of roughly translating as um, no one's going to have power over me, but I just hear that line of rage against the machine in my head. <laughs> constantly won't do what you tell me but the thing that strikes me about um sovereignty and the places that it comes from and particularly some of the spiritual circles that it's just bandied around in like a ping pong ball is that it's a it's a colonizer mentality you know sovereignty relates to the idea of a sovereign having absolute power and what we're moving towards in the Aquarian age is not top-down power it's about community Uh, coming together, working together about fair exchange, about win-win situations, about being able to support each other. So this ludicrous idea of all these sovereign beings doing whatever the hell they want, you can't tell me and I won't be in your systems, instead of the notion of going, well, how do do I maybe step down off my self-appointed throne and see what I can do to bring people together, to make a difference in my community or in my world, you know, small or large. So this, this idea of kind of banging your stick on the ground and saying I am, I think is a big part of the problems that have got us to the unsustainable point that we're at now. And our actual models of power and what we consider power and how we use power have to change. Um, Power is no longer going to be about having the biggest army or the most land or having conquered the most. That's an archaic and barbaric idea of what power is. The, you know, the good king or the good queen cared for her people, for the lands of her people. She was seen to be descent of the divine and she was given the job of stewardship, not power over, the idea of looking after. And that's the thing that seems to be missing in this argument at the moment while everyone's grabbing the microphone and banging on about sovereignty and it just it it sits so uncomfortably with me because I think with so many of these um, ideas that develop you you can see how they've developed in response to yeah the fuck you I won't do what you tell me you know you can see how they've developed in response to that but at the same time because of where they're rooted out of and what they're in opposition to they're just the flip actually of the same thing that they're fighting against and what we need to do is find new ways to collaborate so in my work particularly I'm very focused on the inner union of masculine and feminine I think we have enormous biases on both sides and it's been set up that way Um, and that's what we need to overcome internally before we can then you know reflect that out into the world but we're still running around in this late stage capitalism. I am, I am, I am, I am. Mine, 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 mine. And that's, it's unsustainable. Yeah, I, you made so many good points. And I have to say that, you know, you're certainly preaching to the choir here. You know, mm. <laughs> I've, uh, I'm I've so done, glad there's so many of us that say it. It makes I've me done feel so better. Much, I mean, you know, what was the message of the grail? You know, King Arthur, yeah. the oh, land 100%. of the king or one. It's like, 
I completely agree with the, the Aquarian ideal idea mm. of the greater good, right? Yes. It's about community. It's about yes. group. It's less, it's a less personalized idea. And mm. so moving, and of course, you know, you mentioned like colonialism and, you know, the rugged mm. individual. And, and of course that is true for your country and certainly, <laughs> certainly mine. Certainly. Uh, we are, we are, and we are honestly, I feel yeah. like Australians are the flat earthers of the world at the moment. We have an absolutely dreadfully short-sighted government that's completely fueled but well, funded by fossil fuels. We have a government that doesn't care about people. We we treat our refugees appallingly and even worse is the dreadful history that we have uh, with the Indigenous people who are the longest surviving continuous culture in the world and we have marginalised them to such a terrible extent. We're so far behind in terms of reconciliation. There's been huge resistance to it in Australia and we're a long way behind where we should be and where everyone else is as they're working through this to make, you know, to make reparations, to try and foster understanding. We we still there there is there is just dreadful, dreadful resistance in this country. And it's really, it's really difficult to live here sometimes. Oh, well, I felt the same way about living in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I know, where are we all gonna Everything go? You said, yes, also here. Um, but you know, you mentioned something earlier about um, you know, also that one of the things that you're focused on, and, and I also try and do that too, is that, you know, we may not be able to, you know, push, you know, like Sisyphus, you know, push the entire, like make everything happen right now. But what we can do is work on ourselves. We can work on our communities. We can do small, small things make a difference. Absolutely. In, in this place and in this world and working on, you know, reconciling your own, you know, working, like doing your own shadow work, work, you yeah. know, which is, you know, I mean, I always quote Carl Jung, you know, in this, who said, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but in yeah. making the darkness conscious. Absolutely. You know, personal, collective, you know, have the, the deep conversations, get to know yourself, you know, and as you do that, and begin the process of awakening, you know, um, to yourself and to the massive connectivity. I mean, whether you, you know, you're studying astrology or you are, you know, um, worshiping and, and, you know, enjoying the natural world through spirituality and religion, you know, there's, we're all connected. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, and I think as well, it's just the, it's just the setup. the The word darkness is so loaded. The idea of, I mean, occult. Most people don't actually know what occult means. That it just means hidden. You know, I mean, obviously, astrologers know. We know things get occulted. Like we we understand the meaning of it. But I think, you know, the. I mean, I often talk about this a lot in reference to witchcraft as well, is that between, you know, the, the Catholic Church and Disney, we had an absolute hatchet job done on witches and who we are and, and what we believe in and why. And I think it's having a resurgence at the moment because, 
you know, what, what we talk about and actually what we practice, what we observe is being connected to the world we live in, seeing ourselves as a part of it. And I'm not talking about the built environment that sits on top of it. I'm talking about the seasons. I'm talking about the way the sun and the moon and the planets move through the sky. You know, our, um, I always talk about this at winter solstice, um, which obviously feels a very long way away where I'm sitting, but, at, you know, the idea that Neolithic children understood far more about this than our terribly modern children do. I mean, kids now might know if they're off their devices long enough that, you know, that the sun rises here and sets here. But Neolithic children knew that the sun also moved this way back and forth across the horizon and they could tell from where the sun was on the horizontal arc rather than the vertical arc what what time of year it is it's that sort of knowledge and the kind of knowledge that you really can only develop from having a garden I mean I can't tell how many people do we see that identify as witches and love their essential oils and their candles but you know when was the last time your hands were in soil you know, if you want to work with fire as your element, are you a fire keeper? Do you sit with fire? Do you know fire? Do you work with fire? Okay. And that's one of the things that I talk about a lot in, in my coven. Um, I see I see witchcraft as a really beautiful vehicle for spirituality because what it actually does is connect you to the world you live in, to the, you know, to quote Jamiroquai, the corner of the earth that smiles at you, the place where you plant your feet and your life, that's what you are required to stew in it's not this idea um, again something I write about every day on our national day which is just a, a terrible day because it celebrates that colonialism it's it's we have this awful idea that we own the land and stewardship is that the land actually owns you and, and you're privileged to walk on it and it's your job to look after it um, I had um, I had a great teacher um, I went to one of her workshops, an Australian witch called Stacey DeMarco, and she has a sort of a movement called Nature Luster. And, you know, her idea was always just so elegant and so simple that, that what you love, you save. If you give a shit about something and beyond that, if you fall in love with it, you will look after it you will care for it. We have too many people who are too disconnected from nature and the natural world and they think because they sprinkle an essential oil or a herb on their dinner or something that they're connected to it. you gotta, you got to grow it. you got to get your hands dirty. you got to be in it. You actually have to have bare feet on soil, be able to see the changes in the sky and the movement of the birds. And, and you know, these all used to be these kind of old hippie ideas. This is how human beings have lived for centuries. All of the things that we have observe whether we know their history or not are rooted in these ideas in all of these spiritual traditions and and we literally are just just getting to a point where we're starting to go huh, how about the indigenous wisdom maybe they were on to something I mean, it's it's just unbelievable really to me it's um, so, paid attention yeah you know it's it it's at some point you know, in European thought, you know, mm. in the Western mind, in the Western mm. mind, mm. we suddenly went from being a part of nature to being outside of nature. And when we did that, we disenchanted the universe. We, yeah. we yeah. wanted to take 
control, you know, probably based on fear because most people, you know, mostly controls based on fear. And in that way, we stepped away from the idea that we are a part of everything, that we are a part mm. of nature, that, yep. and that nature is as, as divine as we are, we are all, you know, that there is like this, the spark of divinity. And that's, you know, who knows, maybe that was when, mon you know, monotheistic religion came in. I don't know, but it, it. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a very distinct, there's a very distinct point um, in history and you see it, uh, you see it, especially in the Western world, you see it, um, you see it through the leadership, through the kings and queens and, you know, the courts and that sort of thing, as opposed to, you know, the, the peasants, the, the serfs, the people who actually keep the world turning, they were the ones who lived in tandem with the land and it's the landed gentry that comes in above it that says, no, 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 I'm, I'm better than all of that. I, I think it also too, it's, it's, where the, it's where the sort of the divine right of kings just gets completely twisted and completely bastardised. So it, it ceases to be stewardship and it turns into dominion. And at, at that point, that's when we have the inception of colonisation of slavery. Yeah. That's when that's when you know the ships start taking off from from England and claiming territory all over the place. And and really, we we're still not very far away from the idea that um, that assumes that one person's way of living is right and the only way, versus other ways of doing things, you know, that that um, the ability to learn got lost and yeah. it just became about claiming. And that's it's always a it's always a dangerous abuse of power. <laughs> always ends badly. You can tell that none of these people read their history because yeah. that's absolutely where we're heading again. And I mean the whole Pluto return of America I mean I'm not American and I'm not as across the history because um it it's not something that I've studied um the the study that I did was very much around um European history and you know I went through school at a time where we were taught next to nothing about uh the truth of what happened to our indigenous aboriginal population so um i i noticed at my son's 24 and i noticed when he went through school how things had started to change and then now with my nieces my brother's girls it's changed again but you know we have a we have a terrible problem with the way that we whitewash our history um i had a I was very lucky. I had a brilliant history teacher when I went through school and he always said to me, he said, you have to remember that the history books are written by the winner. You've got right, to find right. out who else was involved. You've got to find the other stories that work around that if you want to get the complete picture. And I think that's one of the, one of the areas that we fall down in now, even with access to all the information that ever there was in the whole world, <laughs> even with all of that. <laughs> turns out you exist in a teeny tiny little echo chamber and you only ever hear the same things over and over again you have your point continually reinforced and you don't you don't get to break out of that box unless you go looking for it and yeah. and you know we have to keep in mind that you don't know what you don't know it's one of the things I think particularly with with shadow work is that you're you're staring into the abyss and you're waiting for it to speak 
And most people will take the approach towards shadow work where they want to be in a position of authority because it makes them feel safe. They want to say that they know it or say that they've done it. And they can't just listen. They can't listen to themselves. They can't listen to other people in their lives. They can't listen to points of view, you know, beyond their own. I think it's Aristotle who says the mark of intelligence is the ability to hold another point of view even if you don't agree with it just to allow it, just to allow people to have differences of opinion. The polarisation that we're seeing at the moment, and obviously the, the, the board is very stacked by, you know, the social media giants who are bigger than countries sort of thing and, and under nobody's control, um, which I think is a beautiful lesson for our power and control systems. Turns out yep. they snuck through. But, um but, yeah, I think at the moment that's one of the big problems that we have is that people can't just allow somebody to have a difference of opinion. They have to be ramming their opinion down. You have to change your mind. You, you have to, you know, adjust and move. They can't just, I mean, it feels like the days of agree to disagree are in the past. And, and also, too, just the idea that there are things, you know, that there are things that, that you don't talk about, not because you don't have an opinion on it, not because you don't feel strongly about it, but because you want to allow people to have their opinions on things too, to feel the way that they do about things. And I think it's one of the places where we can go really, really wrong is by is by telling everyone that they have to think like us or cancelling them. Yeah. yeah, that's this binary that started happening, and it's um, it's not the Aquarian age that comes from. It's never going to move us forward. That one, terrible. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think Saturn and Aquarius's, you know, shadow side is cancel culture mm. a little bit, you know, um, or you know, whatever you want to call it. I bet I'm not trying to make a negative connotation mm. of the word shadow, but um. Mm. You know, within no, no, no. I agree. No, I, 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 I certainly I see shadow that way too. There's, there's shadow and, and light to everything. Um, you like know, we make judgments of yeah, and we make judgments of whether that's good or bad. And you know, conveniently, we say the light's all good and the shadow's all bad. But no, I think you're right. There's, there's nuance in everything. And I think, I think cancel culture just really demonstrates our inability to communicate. Yeah, it's ridiculous. At a basic it's level, like at a basic yeah. level, like have a discussion about it, for God's sake. Like the idea that I go, ah. I mean, putting a boundary in place when something does you manifest harm is a, a strong and a brave thing to do. But council culture tends to arise from someone having an opinion and everyone going, well, I'm not going to, I'm taking myself away, rather than engaging with the opinion. You know, the only way that we can have teachable moments the only way that we can learn from our mistakes is not to be shamed and punished the the way that we learn is for someone to actually you know think about when you're at school the difference between a teacher who would shame you and send you out and cut you out of the lesson versus a teacher who would sit there and can kind of say okay so I can see the end of the stick you have there's this other end of the stick too what do you think about this mm -hmm. it's a completely different way of learning and it's like we've just we've just in this modern world we've just gotten to a point where we can't be taught and and of course what we're the box that we're stuck in is the box that we were conditioned in at the start. And those days don't exist anymore. 
right. have already passed us by, despite the fact that a lot of those people are still in power, but <laughs> they're not going to be there forever. I think that also <laughs> cancel culture is predominantly, at least this has been my experience of it, is predominantly not necessarily our generation. Um, but that, you know. No, no, we're all still just bitching about technology in our generation. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends, right? Uh, mm. But but there's um, there's a, an intellectualization of, 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 you know, information and, and, you know, this is right, this is wrong. You know, I, I see that a lot, especially mm. like in, in the, you know, so-called the spirituality, yeah. you know, group, like this is correct, this isn't, uh, you know, and, um, and also, you know, not a lot of patience and at the same time, a need to be special that is so yeah. strong with all of these, you know, I guess like millennials and Gen Z, kids like the uniqueness the need to be unique and to be recognized as unique and that includes their information that they have like their their information is right and yours isn't or or I'm you know and so I just I see that that's true and there's also a lack of patience with growth you know you were talking about oh, and with and with experience doing. with experience and with life experience I mean the it's it's not to say it's not to say that you know, I mean, we have experienced the whole way through our lives, but there is something um, about, you know, midlife and and eldership that comes after that, that is born, the, a wisdom that is born of experience, of doing things a lot and over and over and over again, not just working with the first assumption of the first time it happened. And we, until, until we sort of start to have, a lot of the same experiences it's only then that we start to go god almighty am i the only thing in common with all of these experiences and all of these people and all of this shit that's happened hmm, all seems to revolve around me and and i think it, it almost feels like that peak extension of the me 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 thing that actually disavows our humanity i mean the way our bodies are built they're built to co-regulate we're not built to be islands we're built to be creatures of community we're tribal Definitely. originally yeah. and certainly there is that idea of you know of the pointing the bone and the casting out which is what i think cancel culture can sometimes echo which you know basically hits the belonging wound, the idea that if you're cast out, that you no longer belong, that you're unsafe and that you'll die. I mean, that's the idea of being cast out into the wilds or into the forest or into the night or whatever it is. But I, I, I think as well it's, it's I, I've thought for a while that the problems are really rooted in our education system, in how we learn and how we're taught to learn. Um, we, we are taught very singular ideas there's only one way to do something there's only one path to a destination you have to do it this way and then you have to get the piece of paper that says you did it my way and then you can go on to the next one as opposed to the idea that we can that there are myriad paths to a destination and we can all find our own way these the the notion that it's you know it's my way or you haven't done it is extremely dangerous it's like you know yeah. it's like spiritual fundamentalism <laughs> Don't you think so? no I agree I mean the education system it, it is true because you know what we've been indoctrinated with mm. you know, um 
is of course our worldview and it, it it's very yeah. difficult to 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 really wake up and realize that you can have mastery over your belief systems and your thoughts and things like that and you can take certain ones that you don't agree with and you can move them out but you have to have a strong mind and you have to have been you have to go through things oftentimes it is an initiatory process maybe it's the saturn return or yeah pain or trauma that allows you to say like, Oh, guess what? I've been sold a lie, you know? Um, but you know what? Yeah. That is, that's the human. Unfortunately, I don't think that other than maybe some tribal and indigenous peoples that are living, you know, in an ancient culture, like we, everybody's going through this, you know, for the most part. So, yeah. And I, I think that, I think the pace that is missing, whether it's the, whether it's the spiritual realm or whether it's education um, or, or whether it's any of the things that we're talking about, I think the piece that is missing is our feelings, our emotions. I often write about the fact that our first language, our mother tongue, is our feelings. And, you know, I mean, we talk about the spiritual realms, talk about mind, body and spirit. Cool. Where's the emotional body in that? I can see the mental body, I can see the physical body, I can see the spiritual body, but we disavow our feelings. And, you know, the the whole of patriarchy is built on a system of constant gaslighting. No, 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 you don't feel that way here. Let me reframe it for you. So many of the things that people get taught, and it's one of the things that keeps them from the truth of their shadow, is that they can think their feelings, that they can rationalise their feelings. Most people can't just have their feelings, just feel them and, and let that be a language that your, your body, your nervous system, your intuitive self is communicating with you. Everyone goes, oh, hang on, how will these feelings be received out in the world? Well, oh, no. And they don't see it as a connection to guidance. And what always astounds me is that if you are living in your head all the time and you're disconnected from your feelings, then you are also disconnected from your intuition you are disconnected from your soul self in a really profound way. And that seems like an inconvenient truth that gets constantly ignored or gaslit by the spiritual community is that you can think your way around things, you can achieve mastery, you can reframe, but, but no one just wants to sit with how they felt about something. And very often too, on the other side of it, when we're talking about co-regulation and relationship, very often people will have conditions in their relationships about what people can feel and what they can talk about, what the, what the emotional spectrum is, whether it's very small or very wide. You know, a lot of us grew up being told to stop crying, being told to, you know, put on a happy face or do this or, you know, do that, where there wasn't this sort of regulation of feelings and I mean yeah okay there has to be a limit and a balance but remember we're supposed to have all of these bodies working together in tandem I think the idea that we've made the mind the master is a big part of the problem because if you stop disavowing feelings if you start imagining even the feelings of another person that's empathy and we have a monstrous empathy deficit in the world at the moment obviously that would be the direct line result of patriarchy because it gaslights people's feelings. So you're not allowed to feel bad about the fact that you've just lost your house or your home or your country or whatever it is. You're not allowed to feel bad about that. You're just supposed to fit into the prevailing view. So much of the, you know, the, 
the reconciliation that we're looking for is just to be able to sit and listen to what people's experiences were and how they felt about them. And that's what I think we really miss. And I think we miss it internally as well. That's why, you know, a big part of what people don't want to sit with in their shadow and the shadow work that's become a hashtag on Instagram, which isn't even shadow light. It's about thinking about it and then putting it into a bunch of boxes that make you feel better. True shadow work is being able to sit with the feelings and parts of self that you've abandoned because it was too painful. That's what true shadow work is. And that's why most people avoid it because they can't reconcile it. They've just waited for it to be in the past and to move away from them. But actually it's about feeling those feelings. I mean, I think it's one of the sentences I say the most because people will, they get emotional. They start crying about something. If they choke up while they're talking about something, first thing that they'll do is apologise, which just astounds yeah, me. Yeah. Still, I'm, I'm so sorry for having feelings. I'm so sorry for being upset. I mean, my God, it's okay. Your feelings are a communication. Your feelings yeah. are language and, I, and I, you need to learn to speak them. I agree with you that um, there is emotional intelligence that is yeah. given to us by our higher selves, our, our, our intuition, our soul. It is like a... And, but learning to differentiate between an emotional response to stress, an idea, uh, or a belief system that's been, in, in, you know, put into you, um, and true intuitive guidance, you know, soul, you know, assisted emotional GPS. I think that there's two things here because a lot of us have ideas in our heads about ourselves that are mm. untrue and we mm. have an emotional response to that. Now that emotions mm. may be different than feelings and mm. we need to learn to differentiate between that. But I, um, well, I think possibly, I mean, I agree with you too, but I think the difference is the, is the reaction. Like if yeah. you have an emotion, the, the reaction, then it's an outward display. It's maybe vomited on other people. You know, this idea that we don't react, we respond. The, the gap between that reaction and response is your ability to sit with your emotion. It's not about anyone else. It's not about, it's, it's being able to sit with, you know, whatever it is in your past. The emotion is kind of pointing you to that original belief or trauma or whatever it is. It's sitting with that and realising it's yours and not everyone else's that actually stops that from happening. And most people will fall into the, you made me do it, because the neurochemical cocktail that's going here that's connected to those thoughts and those beliefs and the body and the emotions and all of that sort of thing just flares massively and then people react but I think the you know the gap between reaction and response is completely a function of how well you can sit with your feelings and follow them through to a conclusion from that place you can respond but we live in this reactive world because everybody has their buttons pressed and then just blows up and no one takes responsibility for their buttons everyone wants to point the finger at the person who pressed it but if that button is lit up and you can see it from space lots of people are going to come towards it going oh i wonder what that button does boom and press it sort of thing but actually the 
the onus is on us to be able to, you know, to disable those buttons, those triggers, to heal those wounding, to get to the point where it doesn't have a charge and it doesn't have a big emotional reaction because we've actually been able to integrate the experience. And all of that, I think, should happen within the structure yeah. and so much of it because of the way our world is built. We're built to be plugged into all of these systems, you know, to to be plugged into, you know, the, the government, but even to be plugged into the laws, um, to the social contracts that we have. And then on top of that, the, you know, the online world and its constant, you know, screaming opinion. We're, <laughs> we're built to be plugged into all these things first and then run ourselves through them. And it should be the other way around. We should be running everything through ourselves, working out, getting ourselves to level and then going, okay, I can choose how I engage with this. I can choose how I engage with the world. I can choose how I engage with other people. And we've just got an ass about face really badly <laughs> at the moment. And that's what I think is changing. Yeah, I hope so. And, mm. you know, I mean, the, like the greatest, one of the greatest works of the occultists was the sacred marriage, right? The, you know, Eros absolutely. And that is ties into being able to do your own work, sit with yourself, your yep. Yep. the myriad aspects of yourself, the duality of, of yourself, your emotions and your mind, your, mm. you know, your body and your spirit, your masculine, feminine, your yin yang, yeah. whatever you want Just to call kaleidoscope of of all of it you know the no feeling left behind no experience left <laughs> behind you know the I think this 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 very partial idea that we've been given where we're told okay this this part of you this is fine you can put that out there for consumption that part is approved but all these parts which is a lot of us and all of us as well have you know both sides of it I, I think it's just a I don't know it almost feels like a bit like a permission piece you know instead of continually curating yourself to be accepted to whatever the prevailing view is at the time actually being keen to expand out to the edges of all of it um and you know I mean obviously the the caveat really should only ever just be do no harm just don't do any harm in doing that yeah and I, I mean it really is the the true journey is within you know absolutely and, and working on yourself working on refining um you know your ability to be the best person that you can be putting the pieces back together you know how yeah and we had we that. had the most exceptional unbelievable opportunity to do that when the pandemic hit and instead what's happening, everyone's like, oh, quick, bake sourdough, learn to speak Spanish, maybe you could write a book. Like, you know, this whole... <laughs> hey, wait a second, I get that. <laughs> I know, but, but it's your work. It's your work. It's your path in the world. I mean, just this idea you that all of the systems yeah. that everyone was plugged into shut down, but that productive capitalist thing was still blaring the whole time instead of it being this enormous opportunity for people to go within literally they're cut off from everything else if you're not going to get a better opportunity to do that and I mean, everybody many was looking for a distraction 
I mean, okay. So for the most part, I think that, you know, depending on what people's, you know, evolutionary status is or whatever, you know, mm. that there, there are certain people that aren't necessarily going to go there, you know, but I think a lot of people did. Sure. I mean, there was a lot of people, I mean, there were tremendous changes that happened um, when they, you know, folks had to face themselves, you know, whether it was career, yeah. Yeah. getting rid of relationships that didn't work anymore. Um, you know, yeah, it was an opportunity. I think regardless of whether people were facing it with any state of like readiness or consciousness, they certainly people did. Um, I think you're right. It's just about facing it. It's just about actually sitting with it, just not trying to change it into something else. Yeah. Just that. That's that's all it is. And and you know, and again, because often, you know, often these kind of these kind of discussions and these kind of ideas can really reek of privilege because the bottom line is when you're in survival mode you are not co-regulating with yourself you're not exploring your shadow you're trying to keep your head above water and a roof over your head and food on the table so I think we always have to we always have to kind of keep that in mind that the, the ability for us to explore these things is can often be very much a product of the privilege that that we have or that we don't have and our ability to actually engage but at a basic level no matter where we are we can either just sit with and face the reality of what's happening and what we're feeling at that time and be guided from there or we can rage against it try and turn it into something else try and blame it on something else try and find a different way around and I I just think we create so much more misery for ourselves doing it but I I think it's always you know important to remember and I think it's one of the things that is great about the rise of you know psychology and therapy online the fact that I mean I remember thinking a couple of years ago that you know maybe maybe counsellors and psychologists are becoming the new influencers and maybe that could be the best thing that ever happened to the world because what's happening now is those you know, those awful stratas that come through with access to healthcare and particularly access to mental health care can, you know, can now be accessed online that people can get these little snippets and these little sound bites and start to think about how, what that could mean for them and, and be able to start to do that work because they've got access to information that they didn't have before. That's and and I think I think that's one, one of the really, I mean, for all of the shit that we hang on social media, and don't get me wrong, I think there's a lot of shit to be hung there. But uh, at the same time, I also think it's an incredible vehicle and tool for connecting people to information that they may not have had access to otherwise and then allowing them to start doing things like that at whatever level that they can do it I mean it really this this sort of this work of our times should not be connected to whether or not you have the dosh to do it yeah and and it very often is sort of thing but I think particularly with the with the rise of I mean, I was following um, Nicole, the holistic psychologist. I was following her when she she had oh so few followers, like thirty thousand followers or something like that. She's in the millions now. She's written this incredible book, and and again, just this idea of being disenfranchised in the system of psychology and seeing that its theories were not actually supporting people where they were at, and and with what that they were going through, and and creating this body of work, and then just publishing it and saying that people here. Have some tools. See what you can build with these tools. 
and and I mean that's where I think you know there's there's lots of us doing this work in lots and lots of different ways and I think very often the occult end of things where we might occupy in that space is um I think it can sometimes actually be the gateway drug to more mainstream mainstream therapies like a lot of people have been disenfranchised by those systems and so then they will think oh you know maybe I'll have a tarot reading maybe I'll have an astrology reading maybe I'll you know maybe I'll do a shadow session or that sort of thing and they can they can sort of get access to the information a different way and and that's particularly what I try to do in the coven that I have um, my covens on patreon but mainly because I wanted it to be protected um and it's not it's not an open space it's a very curated space because what we're exploring is our relationship to the elements and to the wheel of the year and to our own lives and to ourselves so it's it's got a lot to do with that and it's just being it's about I think it's also too it's about trusting people to know what's best for themselves rather than this sort of very, um, you know, didactic or prescriptive, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to hand this over to me and then I'm going to teach and you're going to do all this. And most people fall through the cracks of that. And, and I think the, the most profound healing occurs when people have permission to just deal with whatever they're dealing with and know that they're being supported, just, just held not told what to do. I mean, maybe it's just my Aquarian authority issues. I hate being told what to do. <laughs> so I just think the idea of preaching is, yeah, just revolting. So, so the notion instead that you can you can just hold someone and say whatever, whatever you need, whatever you need to talk about, wherever we're at, and yeah, here's a whole bunch of tools, and we can dive into this, or we can dive into that. And here, you can have them too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and that's what I think is accessible actually about astrology and about tarot and about these things is that they're actually they're actually really, really accessible if you can get over whatever bias you've been given about them. Sitting with the shadow, yes. And I agree with you that, you know, astrology and tarot seems like, it, it, you know, for, for certain people, it can be a gateway. It doesn't sound as mm. ominous as therapy, but it allows you to see yourself symbolically outside of yourself and um, gives and to you- cultivate, To cultivate the idea of, of magic as well. I mean, rather than this, um, you know, uh, fanciful idea the the notion of of having power and agency in your life is is what can bring magic into it I think we've got some some very hokey very convenient ideas about what constitutes magic but you know the basis of witchcraft is the idea of being in communion with the elements and it's it's being able to align yourself with the elements and the movements of things that are happening that that is magical it really is yes the the universe is magical and mm -hmm. we definitely can can tune into that power and um and align ourselves with it to create some of our own heart's desires you know yeah, whether yeah. it's self-esteem or even you know you know silly domestic things but mm. um, i 
I want you to tell people how, again, like um, what you offer and how they can find you to do some of this amazing shadow work um, that you do. Well, I do the, uh, I sort of, I think the thing with shadow work is that people, people sometimes need to little, need to just dip a little toe first rather than, you know, diving off the very tall platform into the very deep pool. Um, the I, I've tried to structure things, my business, to make them accessible. So obviously all of my writing is, is always online. Um, I offer tarot readings and I offer shadow sessions. I also have a shadow program called the Shadow Dancer Program, which is, a, you know, it's pretty well structured. And it's a particular sequence that allows people to get to their shadow in a way that feels really safe and really held so that they can kind of cultivate the courage that is required to really stare into the shadow. The coven is probably, um, well, it is one of my favourite communal spaces. Um, the coven is held on Patreon. It's it's $10 a month. Um, and for that, it's there's I do, you know, moon rituals. My coven members get, you know, discounts on all the things I do and events and, and that sort of stuff and first bite at the cherry. But but basically we work with we work with what's going on in the sky, particularly the sun and the moon. We work with the energies that are at play at the time. We don't we don't deny anything that's there or try to just, you know, wave a magic wand and create whatever we want. It's actually about coming into relationship with it all. So it's very much based on those old ideas that we are a part of all of this and we're in relationship to it all rather than the notion that we have power or dominion over it. Um, there's also quite um, an historical bent. There's a language bent as well. I just love writing spells. That's one of my favourite little play things to do. So I write spells in there as well. We have playlists. We do cocktail parties. Like it's, oh my God. it's just been, I think, <laughs> and I think as well, it's really interesting because the coven's just turned two. So I started it, um, I started it on Halloween two years ago because who's not going to start a coven on Halloween? Um, and so it, what's really happened um, is that it's kind of like <laughs> coven in the time of COVID. What's actually happened is that this became a really amazing community of care for each of us to really lean back on and and I think that's one of the great things about witchcraft or indeed about any form of spirituality is that it's actually your practice of that spirituality that that holds you together that grounds you that lets you feel like you have some agency so whether that is you know it's it's got to be a devotion and, and I mean that in the really literal sense of the word, a devotion is a vow that you make that you constantly return to. So for a lot of people, they're happy to, you know, pop on the pointy hat every now and then when they want something or when it suits them, as opposed to this idea that you're building an ongoing relationship, that you're exercising this muscle all mm -hmm. the time, that it gets stronger and stronger and your connection gets deeper and deeper. And that's what's happened in the coven. You know, I think there's 
there's there's quite a few women in there. They're from all over the world. And with that, of course, I write for both sides of the wheel because obviously what's happening in the Northern Hemisphere is the opposite of what's happening in the Southern Hemisphere, not just seasonally, but elementally and <laughs> astrologically, we have different associations as well. So, yeah, no witch left behind. Everybody's welcome in the cupboard. Well- <laughs> We, amazingly enough, have already talked for almost an hour and a half. Um, so I need to have you back because I want to talk to you also about the, um, the like opposition between the Northern. Oh, I'd love to. So let's, let's, let's do this. Let's definitely yes, do one of my talk. pet subjects. Um, yeah. Cause I, that'll be a, just a, what, like, this is an introduce, this is an introduction to you on Persephone program. Thank you. Um, and I want to have you back and we'll talk more about, you know, Northern and Southern hemisphere astrology and, you know, mm, and down and <laughs> yeah, I just, I would, I would love to, because certainly that's, that's what we've chatted about. And it's, it's such a, it's such a fascination. And I always really enjoy talking about the differences between Northern and Southern Hemisphere and particularly with someone who's in the opposite hemisphere to me. I have to just quickly tell you a funny story about Persephone. Um, Persephone is a long time, you know, goddess friend of mine. Um, you know, unsurprisingly, but the Persephone myth, the Inanna myth is, is so rooted in shadow, that is shadow work sort of thing. So when my son was, uh, I think he was just starting high school, decided we were going to get a dog, which is Stella that you heard barking before. And um, we brought home this beautiful little puppy trying to decide on a name. And I wanted to call her Persephone. <laughs> and my son, we had this big paddock, a big farm at the time, and my son was like, I am not shouting Persephone over the paddock in order for my dog to come running. I said, oh, okay, fine, pick another name. And he picked um, Stella, which I always loved from, you know, from Street Car Name Desire so we could stand at the front paddock and go, Stella. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. Mm. I hear you. Yes, yes. I mean, having a a Persephone uh, dog out, you know, in the the paddock, (laughs) I would be a little scared too. I'd be like, okay, wait a second. I know someone just standing on the edge of their farm screaming for Persephone probably would have upset the locals. But, um, yeah. but yeah, it, it's just, I, I just, you know, she's a goddess for our times right now. This is exactly where we're at. Her story, her story is instructional. It's instructional. It's so key right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Read, read Scorpio. You'll see it in there. Um, Yay! Will do. I have loved talking with you. You are amazing. And so like. That feeling is mutual. Absolutely mutual. I love the work that you're doing. It's incredible. Um, Definitely check out. um, How do you want people to find you? Um, Oh, the best, um, you know, Instagram's my gateway drug as well. So the best way is for people to, yeah, to come to Boho Mofo on Instagram and then you can click through my link tree and everything's there. Perfect. Great. Mm. And so you can find the Patreon, you can find the shadow work, the readings, the coven. Um, Love all of that. And I can't wait to explore more of that with you. Oh, me too. Me too. I can't believe how fast the time has gone. Thank you so much. I know. I usually don't want to do more than an hour and a half because I find that it's hard for people to listen past that. Um, That's what we'll break this up and we'll do part two when we talk more about 
because it'll tell you the idea of duality right of of the you know it's perfect because the idea Mm. of like upside you know it's everything is is whole right so absolutely i've got a lot to say we'll talk about that later thank you so much thank you Um, sending you blessings for this dark moon that the um the abyss speaks to you with its richness Yes, I, I I love its little tune. I really do. So thank you so much, Michelle, for having me on and um, and for your beautiful book and uh, and just for your insight. I really enjoy your posts. They always get me thinking. They always like crack open something in my head. It's, yeah, it's yeah, one of the I things I really your, love. I don't have your skill with, with words, but. Um, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> no got, way. As I was saying to you before, like the thing I really like about your book is that, is that conversation. I feel like I'm in conversation. I feel like I'm talking to a friend reading it. Like, and, and this is, you know, this is our first time meeting this way. So it, yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's an incredible skill to have to be able to real, really pull people in that way and make them feel held. I think it's the medicine for our times. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you do that the medicine Thanks. for our times as well. We will continue yes. to do our work and talk more soon. Um, right. Have thank a great you. day. Have, you too. Got a whole you day too. ahead of you. Yes. Um, enjoy this beautiful time and um, the, the flowering, uh, the sexy flowering time in Australia. Mm. Oh yeah, we're 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 in Beltane o'clock down here. It's, um, oh, it's high right. spring and absolutely beautiful. That is wonderful. Um, mm. As we are losing the leaves and you know the sun is waning, mm. your sun is waxing, and so sending sure blessings. You too. We will talk again soon. Okay, thank you. Bye.